Hello and welcome once again to Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel. Ron Strauss began his career as a pilot after working on C-141s during the Vietnam War as a flight engineer. He was initially hired by an airline to fly the Convair 990, but also flew the Convair 880 during jobs with different airlines in the 1970s. In 1975, Ron was hired to fly Elvis's personal Convair 880, the Lisa Marie, which he used to tour the US for two years before his death in 1977. Ron's life is the subject of a new book written by award-winning author Sally Hodell. The title is Destined to Fly from Iowa to Elvis. I'm delighted to say that Ron joins me on the show today to share his memories of working as Elvis's personal pilot. Hi Ron, you're very welcome to Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel and thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks Steve. Uh, we were talking there just off air before we uh, started the interview that you're in sunny Florida, is that correct? Yes, and it's a beautiful day down here. But it wasn't sunny a few weeks ago, was it though? There was a, a tornado? Well, it was a hurricane and it wiped out southwest Florida. I lived uh, just north of Daytona. Were you hit badly? No, uh, small damages and no problem at all. Brilliant. None whatsoever. We lost electrics for about uh, two and a half days, but we had a generator, so it's no problem. Great. Glad to hear it. So where where can we start? Uh, in my intro, obviously, I said that you were Elvis Presley's pilot, but there's much more to the story in the book than just being Elvis Presley's pilot, isn't there? Could you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, where you were born and how you got started and why you decided to become a pilot? Well, I was born in uh, Iowa, and then I went in the Air Force when I was 17. And I started off as a mechanic on the B-47. And then I uh, upgraded to flight engineer on the C-141A model. And uh, I spent, well, 12 years in the Air Force, uh, three and a half flying a 141 uh, as a flight engineer. And then I decided to get out of the Air, or the, out of the Air Force and uh, become a pilot. So I did. And uh, where exactly, do you mind telling me exactly where you were born in Iowa? Maybe somebody might know the town. It's uh, Fonda. It's between F-O-N-D-A, and it's halfway in between Storm Lake and Fort Dodge, Iowa. Okay, so it's a small town, or what it was when you were when you were small? Well, it, it was, uh, the best population was uh, later on. And it was uh, like eleven or twelve hundred, and now it's only about six hundred. Oh, so it's gone down, not up. No, it's gone down. It was a farm community, and the farmers used to like my grandfather farmed one hundred and sixty acres with ten children, and uh, nowadays uh, they farm, you know, four thousand acres. So the population has decreased. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after you became a pilot, uh, who did you who did you fly for, or who did you pilot for before meeting Elvis Presley, or Elvis Presley giving you the job as his pilot? Well, I flew the Convair eight eighty eight eighty M and nine ninety a lot, and uh, 
that's uh, how I got hired with Elvis because he bought a Convair 880. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you often think that uh, was it strange that Elvis bought the airplane and not just rented them? Well, he uh, he bought the airplane because uh, and he could rent them. That's for sure. But he wanted to do tours, and then he wanted to go to Europe, and we took him to Hawaii, and uh, he just wanted his own airplane. Yeah, he didn't care what it cost because the airplane. The airplane burned about 2,000 gallons an hour. And I, I don't remember what back we were paying for fuel, but it was expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, even in those days. <laughs> uh, so, so tell me about the, the, the first uh, time you, you got wind, if you like, that you, would go, you were going to be working for Elvis. Well, I, I met the broker. Uh, he was... Uh, the broker that sold him the Convair and actually, uh, he bought it from Boeing, I think. Mm. And, uh, I flew the airplane from Wichita as a passenger airplane down to Fort Worth where we had it, uh, overhauled or put it to the specs that Elvis wanted. And, uh, that was it. And who interviewed you for the, the job? Well, the interview, uh, the shortest one I ever had. <laughs> I interviewed with his father and Vernon, Vernon Presley. And, uh, but he talked to Elvis every night. And the only reason I got hired is, is well, a couple reasons. One, I knew the broker. And, uh, secondly, I had a lot of convert time. Mm. So you, you knew the plane that Elvis had bought very, very well. Well, I knew the type of airplane. I don't know. Mm. I didn't know, you know, that particular airplane that yes, well. Yes, yes. But the type. How did, how did the interview go? Do you remember any questions or how it went? Well, the interview was the shortest one, like I said, I ever had. There was two questions that Vernon Presley asked me. He said, uh, you know, well, he told me, he said uh, two, two questions. One was, uh, you fly the airplane and we'll do the entertainment. And secondly, how much money do you want to make? And I told him, and it was all exactly as I told him. And then uh, the first time you actually met the man himself, because actually, did you, w w there's a funny story the first time you met Elvis, isn't there, because of the name you called him. Can you share with our listeners that? Well, you know, it, it was, uh, we got hired by the Presleys and then, uh, we went to, uh, Dallas to pick up the airplane. We flew it to Long Beach then we flew it to Nashville and had it, uh, uh, certified. And then we flew it to Memphis and, uh, we were, we thought, well, there'd be a big crowd there with Elvis, you know, being there and, uh, there was nobody, nothing. And the next day we came out and the crew, we'd done the exact same thing. We sat there all day, nothing. Elvis didn't show. And then the third day he showed. And it was really neat because, uh, of course, I've, I've never met the man before. And uh, each one of us, he called out for us to come out of the cockpit one at a time. And uh, when I met him, I, I said... Uh, uh, Mr. Presley, uh, good afternoon or morning, whatever it was. 
And uh, he says, well, I guess, you know, he was sitting, you know, on the back of the chair, chairs in the airplane. And he says, oh, I guess I know who you are. Or, or he says, I guess you know who I am. And uh, I said, yes, sir, Mr. Presley. And he says, none of this sir stuff, none of this Presley stuff. Yeah. He says, may I call you Ron? And I said, yes, sir. And he says, look, I told you none of this yes, sir stuff. <laughs> and uh, and that's the way it was. It was Elvis and Ron from then on in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know as fans that, you know, Elvis was, that's the way he was. He didn't like the formalities and he didn't like to be, you know, any better than anybody else. He just wanted to be known as Elvis, didn't he? Yes, very true. Even though in in reality, you know, he was your boss. Um, he didn't want you sort of standing on ceremony or anything like that. You know, he, he was uh, very uneasy about flying. Yeah. I guess he had some problems problems early on well he, he had a he had a major scare in 1956 coming back uh, or going to a recording session uh it was a, it was a small it was a light aircraft and i think it put the frighteners on him for a while but it kind of he, he never really flew again in the 60s and then he began playing again in, obviously in the 70s when the tour started again yeah you know he came to the cockpit well numerous times but one time it was right at the start he came to the cockpit and he says, "Hey, look, don't don't do anything that you're uncomfortable with, maintenance wise or whatever the weather." He says, "Because I can get other airplanes, no problem at all." And uh, and he told us that right up the front. And uh, we had uh, weather a couple times, and uh, he he just bounced back, no problem. Did he um, did he ever take the controls of the Lisa Marie? That's one of the questions I wanted to ask. You know, I asked him. You know, hey, do you want to take controls of this? No, he says that's what I hire you guys for. <laughs> so then uh, I was talking to ATC, of course, and uh, he said, uh, ATC said, "Well, is is Elvis really own that airplane?" And I said, "Yes, he does." And uh, I say, he's right here in the cockpit. You want to talk to him? And Elvis keyed the mic. I handed the mic to him, keyed the mic, and, and talked to him a couple minutes. Yeah. And they got a big thrill out of that. Yeah, you, know? yeah, you can imagine. You can imagine. Uh, tell me about th this fool's gold story has been misreported over the years, but you knew it firsthand. So you can tell us the truth about this fool's gold story and the sandwiches. Would you, can you share that with us now? Well, sure, no problem. You know, whatever year birthday it was, it was uh, Lisa Marie's, his daughter's, I don't know, seventh or eighth or ninth birthday. So we were going to fly to Denver and then drop her off in uh, Long Beach, L.A. area. And uh, so we took off, and like I said, it was her birthday, and we had a or the fool's gold manager brought out a, a birthday cake or we brought one on the airplane. I'm not sure how that went. And uh, of course we landed in Denver and they had uh, the fool's gold sandwiches and th they were oh peanut butter and jelly and all kinds of stuff in it. And uh, it was just too sweet for me. And uh, of course, uh, I only took a couple of bites, and then that was it. And I think the sandwiches back then were twenty-eight bucks a piece, right. and that was, of course, delivered. Yeah. Then we sang "Happy Birthday" to Lisa Marie, and I got 
bet you can't tell who the lead singer was on that one. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in the meantime, we were uh, checking the weather in the Los Angeles area, and it was zero zero. I mean, the visibility was nothing. And uh, so we invited Elvis into the cockpit, and we said, "Hey, Elvis, uh, you know, we'll go, but we're we're not going to get in, and we'll hold as long as we can." Go and says, "Well, we'll go, but diverting with you on the airplane is a real pain in the the tail." Just wait a minute. Let me see what's going to happen. So he went back and talked to some of these friends. And they wanted to go to, I think it was New Orleans. It was in Louisiana. And uh, he came back to cockpit and he said, uh, well, I'm going to send security with Lisa into the hotel. And then when it gets better weather, we'll go in. And uh, so we figured we'd just go back to Memphis. Then he says, well, go to New Orleans. And uh, we did. We took off and uh, the weather was good in New Orleans. And we went there and. Elvis was in the cockpit in his jumpsuit, and uh, he, he wanted to see the landing, and that was okay with us, no problem. So he was sitting in the jumpsuit, and we landed, and I'd never been there with him aboard before. And uh, I asked him, I says, hey, uh, where do we get some fuel? He says, well, try that gas station, the FBO over there, Texco or Chevron or whatever it was. I said, okay. So we taxied over there, and uh, this young manager came up. He was probably 30 years old, and he came right in the cockpit, and you guys, and Elvis was in the jump seat. I says, how about fuel? How much you want? I said, oh, I don't know, probably about 5,000 gallons. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, who the hell is going to pay for that? And I pointed back at Elvis. Said that guy right back there. <laughs> oh my God! He says, "Elvis, Elvis Presley." And he shook his hand, of course, numerous times. And he says, "My my wife is in love with you. Can can she uh, meet you if if she comes out here?" Absolutely, no problem. So uh, we told the manager we were dragging our feet. We were hoping that she would, you know, come out here immediately, but I guess she didn't. And. Uh, course this was like just a and uh, she was probably sleeping in the bed <laughs> so pretty soon uh, the head of security came up said hey do we have a maintenance problem said no it just takes a while because of the you know the burden over and uh, so then we uh taxied out and as we're taxing out here comes this girl oh no and she's waving stop 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 <laughs> well hell we ain't gonna stop <laughs> and we're heading for memphis so off we went to Memphis. That's the story of the fool's goal. Yeah, I, but but I'm the, that obviously I feel sorry for the, the the young lady that wanted to meet Elvis. She she probably regretted stalling or or not getting out of bed quick enough for the rest of her life. But the the main well, thing, yeah, you're laying in bed and you put your makeup on or what? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. who knows? But uh, what I was going to say was I'm glad you've clarified the fool's gold story because it's been misreported for so long in the press that, you know, Elvis just flew there just for his own, you know, to, to satisfy himself and, you know, for gluttony and all this. And they, they say that in the press when really it was a, a party for his daughter. There was more than himself, obviously. You know, I mean, there was, I, I don't know. Do you know, do you remember how many were there? Oh, I don't. Uh, the airplane, when he got done 
It was what was originally was Delta Airlines uh, passenger airplane, and it would probably carry a hundred and twenty or thereabouts. When he got none done, and reconfigured it, it would only carry twenty nine. And I don't remember how many people was on it. But it was more than just Elvis flying there, just so he could have a fool's gold. It was his daughter's uh, birthday. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then, uh, and there was, you know, probably ten or fifteen people. I don't remember exactly how many people was on board. But lots of times we just didn't didn't even know who was on the airplane. Uh, the flight attendant would come up and say, "There's twenty nine people, or twenty x amount of people." And that's what we put on the uh, the weight and balance, and that was it. And off we'd go. Tell me the story about. Uh, oh, oh I, I just don't want to make that your your uh, your late wife was called Betty. Is that correct? Yes. Um, now, sadly, uh, Betty died uh, a few years ago. Is that correct? Uh, just about ten years ago. Yeah. But there was a story uh, that you wanted to, uh, when you were taking Elvis to Hawaii in 1977, and you wanted Betty to come along as well, and there was a mix-up. Is that correct? Well, I'll tell you the story, and there was a mix-up. But I found out that, uh, you know, Elvis, uh, months before that, asked us, says, hey, is, will this airplane make Hawaii? And I, I told him, absolutely, no problem at all. We've got plenty of reserve, no problem. So, uh, you know, months later, we get this call from Joe Esposito, and uh, we're going to go to Hawaii, X, whatever day it was. And uh, so I said, oh, well, I'd like to take my wife. And he says, well, let me tell you, on uh, the 29 seats, there, there's four open seats in Memphis, but we're going to stop in, in Oakland for fuel. and." Uh, the the airplane is booked all all over. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's going to be more people booked than we got uh, capabilities of carrying. And I said, "Are you sure of that, Joe?" And he says, "Oh yeah." All right. So off we go without Betty, and we're going to uh, out of Memphis to Oakland, picking up fuel, and uh, we got four open seats. And I'm madder in hell, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to let that on. I mean, just, I'll catch it next time. Yeah. So then uh, we take off with four open seats. Elvis comes in the cockpit. Hey, how's it going? And I said, good. You know, the weather's good. We'll be there in a couple of hours or so. And he says, Ron, I understand you're a little bit, well, I won't use the word he used, but ticked off. Yeah. And, uh. I said, no, no, Elvis, uh, maybe next time. No, no, he says, you don't understand me. He says, Betty should be on this flight. Yeah. And I said, no, no, this, don't worry about it. He says, so well, I do worry about it. He says, let me ask you something. He says, do I pay you enough? I says, yes, sir. He says, I told you none of that sir stuff. Hmm. It's Elvis and Ron. And I said, that's good. And, uh, he says, uh, do you like working for me? Absolutely, Elvis. And he says, let me tell you, if she's not out here tomorrow, I'll replace her. And I wasn't going to take the chance. It was all on, on him. He said it. First yeah. class airline ticket from Memphis to Honolulu. Yeah. And uh, so 
I, I did. I called as soon as we landed. I called Benny, and I says, "Hey, Elvis is paying for everything, first class airline tickets." She walked down to Memphis or drove down to Memphis International, got a first class ticket. I wish I'd have kept it. I don't know how much it cost today. She came out to to Honolulu, and we spent three or four days, and then she had to get back because of the two kids and and their job. Mm. And uh, so she airlined first class back, no problem at all. And uh, then, I don't know, five or six days later, we came back. And Elvis, halfway to Oakland, uh, Elvis came in and uh, said, hey, Ron, did Betty enjoy her stay? And then we get back to Memphis, and I, I never did talk to Elvis about money, never, or dealings. I always made a habit to to talk with Vernon. And uh, I had a stack of bills from the trip, and I gave them to uh, Vernon. And I said, here's, you know, this bill, this bill is approved, and etc." cetera. And uh, then when we got done with that, I had this airline ticket. <laughs> and I was sort of, oh, reluctant. And I, I gave it to Vernon. And I said, uh, hey, uh, he said to Nancy, just pay him, write him out a check. And I said, but Mr. Presley, don't you want to look at that a little bit? No, he says, I talked to Elvis. He told me all about it. No problem. <laughs> just pay him. And they gave me a check. And that was it. Yeah. It's just, you know, the, again, the generosity of Elvis Presley. I mean, there's so many examples, but that's just a beautiful example. And, you know, I'm sure Betty had great memories about that trip. I'm sure you did as well. Oh, I did. And in fact, uh, he took Ginger Alden or, uh, Alden and I met her just, uh, in Memphis, I guess, uh, within a year. And I, and she recognized me. I'm surprised after all these years that she would. Um, I spoke to Ginger, uh, on this channel. I interviewed her about a year ago and, uh, a, a lovely lady, a really lovely lady. I can see what Elvis yeah. saw in her. You know, Elvis had numerous girlfriends, but uh, it was very nice. Linda Thompson. Yeah, tell me about uh, Linda giving you a kiss and Elvis warning you. I remember that from the book. It was it was pretty neat because <laughs> El Elvis, uh, he, he enjoyed it a lot. But anyway, I hadn't seen Linda in, uh, oh, probably a month or whatever it was. I don't know. And uh, she came in the cockpit. They always came in the cockpit uh, if they were joyriding, uh, ex except after a concert. Sometimes Elvis didn't want to come in because he was just exhausted after a concert. Yeah. So anyway, they they came in the cockpit, and I was doing some paperwork or whatever, and I turned around, and my mouth just dropped open because here's this beautiful blonde. And she was dressed in a American native outfit, of course, blonde hair, suntan skin, and a feather in her hair. And my mouth just dropped. And Elvis looked at me and shook his finger. He says, Ron, don't even, I won't use the word, think about it. And uh, that, that was fine. And then we took off, went someplace, and... <laughs> And then uh, when we landed, Linda and Elvis would always come in the cockpit. 
and uh, say, hey, do you need anything or whatever? And then she would kiss each uh, the two pilots and the flight engineer on the cheek. And she kissed the engineer on the cheek, and then she went to kiss me and, uh, on the cheek. She whispered in my ear, Ron, don't give up. You still got a chance. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I thought that was pretty cute. Yeah. From I, I mean, I think her and Elvis shared the same sort of humor. That's why, you know, they, they lasted as long as they did, you know, uh, because they had that sort of wicked sort of sense of humor. Both of them did. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, uh, Elvis's bed. What happened about Elvis's bed, Ron? Are you going to come clean about this? <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it, it was many a times when we would get a call from somebody and they said, get out of the airplane. Now, Elvis never airplane, well, unless on concert. But normally, uh, two or three or four o'clock in the morning, he would, they, somebody would call us, get out of the airplane. We're going. Where are we going? I don't know. Elvis would make that decision. And uh, we would stand by for just until sunrise. And then if Elvis didn't show at sunrise, we'd leave. So that just happened numerous times. And one time we were out there and the flight, the flight engineer, the other pilot and the flight attendant, they all had seats or beds that they, or in their couches or whatever they slept on. And, uh, they were all done. I saw them sleep. The time I got done, you know, the only bed that was open was Elvis's. So I said, well, heck with it. I'll just go back there and, and pull the covers up and flip off my flying boots and that'll be it. And security always would show before Elvis showed, just check and make sure that everything was all right. Yeah. And, and then, uh, I think it was Dick Grobe. He, uh, he, I was sound asleep. He woke me up. What the hell are you doing sleeping in, the, in, in Elvis's bed? And I says, well, I was sound asleep until you rudely awakened me. <laughs> yeah. And he says, you better get up to the cockpit because Elvis is on his way. Oh, that's all right. So Elvis, uh, after we landed, we took off and went someplace. And then uh, Elvis came in the cockpit and he says, hey, thanks. You know, he says, hey, Ron, I understand you got in a little bit of trouble. I said, yeah, Elvis, I got caught sleeping in your bed. He says, Ron, you can sleep in my bed anytime you want. So that was pretty good. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, Touring overseas, Elvis was definitely making plans to fly the Lisa Marie to uh, Europe uh, and the UK, yes? Yes, he was. And he asked us, he says, you know, can we fly to uh, Europe? And I says, absolutely, no problem. Uh, The longest leg is a Hawaii trip. And uh, no problem. But he was definitely uh, planning on the following year to uh, to go to Europe. It's probably 1978. Probably. You know, uh, the rumors and so forth about the colonel not being able to travel outside of America. Do you th- Was that ever, uh, did you know about that prior to Elvis's death about Colonel Parker? No. I didn't. Yeah, he'd obviously made plans to get around that. Obviously, Elvis had made plans to get around that if he was, you know, planning on going in 1978. During the time you were working with Elvis, was there any, was there ever any a time when you thought, you know, 
he's not in the best of health. Did you see a change in Elvis maybe the last few months of his life? Well, he put on some weight. There's no question about that. But, you know, he'd stand in the, in the, the cabin door there, and he had such big shoulders anyway. So, uh, you know, I, I, except for the weight-wise, uh, we never found anything different than Elvis. He was friendly, like he always was, and etc. So August the 16th was obviously a shock for you then? Oh, absolutely. Because I, I, was, I was at the mansion when he died because I was talking. You know, uh, Elvis had a bunch of go-karts. He had some wicked go-karts. And I asked Elvis, I says, hey, uh, do you mind if we drive those once, a, once, once in a while? No, he says, you can drive it all you want. So I had a meeting with Vernon Presley on, on different things. We were going to Portland, Maine that night. And uh, so I went out. I was racing these go-karts. And like I said, they were wicked. And uh, so then uh, I decided, well, I, it's probably time to give that up. I got to go home and get some sleep. And uh, and I did. And as uh, I was walking or getting in my car in the mansion, I saw Vernon Presley, and I think it was Nancy, his secretary or whatever it was, escorting him in to the mansion. And I thought, ooh, uh, he's not in that good of shape. He wasn't physically in that good of shape anyway. Mm. And then I went home, and my daughter's just crying big time. She says, Elvis died, Elvis died. I said, no, no, that was his father. Well, I was wrong again. And and what about uh, the the days after? Did you go back up to Graceland? Were you there for the funeral, or did you just stay away because of the the amount of people that were there? No, the funeral and the funeral procession. Uh huh. And it was funny because I still got this Corvette. I bought it with the tips he bought uh, gave me, and uh, I paid fifty two hundred and fifty bucks for the vet, and I bought it just down from Elvis Presley Boulevard on a used car lot. And I had looked at it numerous times and uh, he just was wanting 5,500 and I wasn't going to pay it. Anyway, I, I, I drove that in uh, Elvis's first funeral procession. Right. And uh, we went through, you know, saw the coffin and everything like that. We were invited to the funeral and uh, then we went through the coffin and all that stuff and different people were singing and, and then we got ready to go on the funeral procession and I was supposed to get in one of the cars and the highway patrol came up to, to someone and said, who owns that yellow Corvette? And, uh, they pointed to me and I thought, Oh, what did I do? I ain't done nothing wrong. You know? And, uh, the policeman or the state patrol says, you own that yellow vet? I said, yeah. And he says, would you mind that driving that in the funeral procession? And I says, no, but why? And he says, I we want you to be the very last car yeah. because, uh, there was tens of thousands of people lined to the streets. And, uh, I said, yeah, no problem. Uh, be more than glad. So I was, I was the very last car in the funeral procession. And I still own the car. Still got it today. You still got it today. Wow. Yes, I do. Wow. 
It's parked in the, my garage. And it's and I drive it on good good days. And and it's on the cover of uh, Sally Hodel's book as well, I believe, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, did Elvis make Did Elvis make a joke about when he first saw the Corvette? Did he? He did. He he says, "Well, you know, I, I parked a car because we never did know when Elvis was going to show, so I parked it." near the Corvette or the Conver. And uh, Elvis came up and he said, finally he got there and he's looking at, I think we were waiting for one of the security guards or something. And uh, he says, well, I don't reckon that Corvette. He says, who owns that? And I said, I do. He says, I must pay you enough. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, on the funeral procession, it was pretty neat. Because, like I said, I was the last car in the Fruna procession. And uh, then there was a cop car right behind me. And after the, the first Fruna procession, we were supposed to uh, go by the mansion and have coffee and donuts or whatever. And uh, so as the Fruna was over, you know, the state patrol car started uh, leaving. And he's got his light and siren on, and I just pulled right, in, right behind him. And uh, off we go. We're going, we have mo motorcycle escorts and everything. And uh, we're driving 70, 80 miles an hour down Memphis, whatever it was. And uh, my wife says, uh, Ron, I don't think we should be here. And I says, well, what do you mean? And he, she says, well, when you get time, you look in the rear, rear view mirror, there's nobody behind us. <laughs> I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So I did. I looked in the mirror. We were going down Memphis, just lickety split, 70, 80, 90 mile an hour. Uh -huh. And then the darn, uh, we missed a turnoff to uh, the mansion. And I thought, oh, oh, we're in trouble, big trouble. But we're just to the airport the guy jumps out with security and jumps on this king air and heads off so i asked the memphis arrow people i said who in the hell was that and he said that was the governor of tennessee <laughs> so that's it uh in the in the in the years after uh elvis died of course that was probably the end of your uh employment with the Presleys, is that correct? Did Vernon uh, address the issue after Elvis died with you? Well, uh, I got hired with the airlines uh, right after that happened. And uh, I was going back. I went off to Ver. You know, it was a couple of three weeks after the, the funeral. And uh, I told him, you know, I was going back with the airlines. And uh, he said, no, no. He says, I want you to to work here at least a year and I'll pay you the regular amount. And I said, Mr. Presley, I'm, I'm not going to work here. I'm, if you send me a check, I'm going to tear it up. I said, that that's just not the way I work. Mm. And, uh, I did, I went back with the airlines. And then, uh, when, when do you mind me asking when, when did you retire, Ron? I retired in 2003. Uh, so it was quite a while after Elvis died before you retired then. Well, yes, I went back with the airlines and, mm. and then, uh, I flew for them for until 88. And then I went with the UPS and, uh, got hired with the initial cadre 
and then uh, retired in 2003. And unfortunately, your your wife got sick, did she? Yes, she did. She, she wasn't in the best of health, mm. but she died, uh, it'll be 10 years in this de- December. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, then, then you moved to Florida um, for your retirement, is that correct? No. Well, I, I moved to Florida. There was a spot open uh, in Florida in 85. Ah, and right. we moved back to Florida in 85. And uh, w- what do you do with yourself these days in your retirement, the man of leisure? <laughs> well, I'm into antique cars. Oh. Right. I got a 57 Chevy, and I got a 65 Mustang, and, of course, I got the 73 Corvette. And uh, I keep playing with those periodically. I'd say you and Elvis had uh, uh, quite uh, some conversations then about cars because we know that Elvis was into cars as well. He was. He was in the cars and guns, and I'm in the cars and guns. Uh, what about that time uh, he was on the plane and you noticed a gun in his holster? Uh, that was a very funny uh, conversation you had about that as well, wasn't it? Well, he, you know, he, when he was uh, just out playing around, he would uh, carry, a, a, I think it was a forty five uh, pistol in his belt. And uh, so I, I quizzed him about it. I says, Elvis, well, is that forty-five real? And he says, you bet it is. I says, is, is that loaded? And he says, what else? Why why carry a gun if it's not loaded? Yeah. And I says, you know, if that gun goes off, we're in deep trouble. He <laughs> yeah. says, you worry about the flying, I'll worry about the gun. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah, that sounds like Elvis, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, he, he was uh, a, just a fantastic guy to work with. Fantastic. I mean, he would just give us anything we wanted. Uh, I mean, the gifts he gave us. No, I still got the the gold necklace that he gave me. And uh, it wasn't, you know, like just throwing it on your lap or something like that. He made a a statement, whatever it was, I can't remember. And then he put it on on your necklace or on your neck, around your head and on your neck. And uh, I still got that. And uh, the Elvis jacket that uh, he gave me. You you took something else as well, if I remember rightly, from the book. Was it a comb or something you took? Well, I, you know, after, uh, you know, we went to the airport after the funeral. Uh, and then we went on to the airplane to check things out, make sure it was all right. And uh, my wife had one of Elvis's uniforms. And uh, was going to take that, and I said, "No, put that back. We ain't going to take that." So uh, she went back and found a comb in his bedroom, and I still got it. Yeah, still, and I display it sometimes, but I've got to be very careful because I don't want to lose it. Yeah, of course. I'm sure you treasure that as much as all the other oh, things. Yeah. yeah. So, Ron, the book is Destined to Fly, the story of pilot Ron Strauss from Iowa to Elvis by Sally Hodel. Now, we know that Sally's first book was Destined to Die Young, and that was, uh, and that's how you, you came to uh, meet Sally, I believe, wasn't it? Well, it was. You know, I used to take my RV and go to uh, Cadillac, Michigan and, uh, for the summers because uh, the summers down here are very hot. Yeah. And uh, that, that's where I met her. I met her at a 
an Elvis impersonator, an ETA, whatever you want to call him, in uh, Traverse City. And that's where I met her and uh, Jake Slater, which is uh, the ETA. And uh, boy, is he good. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Yeah, there's some really good ETAs around. The, the ones, you know, uh, the ones that uh, do it with respect and don't try and be Elvis, but just sort of pay tribute to Elvis are are the, definitely the best ones. I think so. Yeah. Okay, that's a great, Ron. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure spending this half hour or so with you and, and reminiscing about Elvis. There is obviously a lot more in that book, and I've read the book, obviously, because Sally sent it to me uh, before I made this phone call to you, and I read it, and it's a really, really good book. And the other, the, the, the previous book as well, Destined to Die Young, was a very, very good book as well. I'm just wondering what Sally's got lined up for the next book, what she's got destined for. Well, it'll be destined something and yeah. i asked her about that she says it's a secret yeah, exactly <laughs> so yeah but she's she's a excellent writer yes i mean absolute excellent and a nice person very nice but a big big elvis fan yeah well i was one of the first people if not the first person actually to interview sally when destined to die young was coming out and uh, as you say, she's a very, very fine lady. Ron, I'm going to let you go because I appreciate you giving your time to speak to me and the fans. Okay, thanks, Ron, and uh, take care of yourself. All right, Steve, you be careful. Bye. Thanks once again to Ron for sharing his memories of his time with Elvis. For more information on how to buy Sally's book, please visit www elvisauthor.com If you're in the UK, visit www.strictlyelvis.net This will save you on international shipping. I will drop these two links in the description box below also. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join me next time on Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel.